Good evening. Before we begin tonight's program, I want to bring something to your attention that I find very disturbing. It's something that I hope that you're very disturbed by as well. Earlier this week, a controversial broadcaster named Alex Jones had his entire YouTube channel removed, his entire podcast removed. He was digitally erased. Now, I'm not a particular fan of this individual. I know a lot of people find his views and perspective disturbing. The fact of the matter is that this is a white-knuckle attempt to silence a voice. It is censorship. This is the George Orwell book, 1984, playing out right before our eyes. And you know what? A lot of people don't give a damn. A lot of Americans are just sitting by passively, letting it happen. Meanwhile, they're saying how much they love and appreciate the people that are defending their right. Oh, thank you for thank you for defending our freedom. Thank you for defending our freedom, they say. They're not, they themselves are sitting by like idiots, letting this Orwellian nightmare play out. We are in the midst of a very dark period of time, my friends. When voices can be silenced, any voice whatsoever, it is a direct threat to the truth. There are a lot of perspectives out there that I completely disagree with, that I find revulsive, but I will fight 10 times harder for the rights for those voices to be heard over my own because I believe in freedom of speech. And that's what freedom of speech is. Freedom of speech is allowing all voices to be heard, not just the voices that are music to our ears. This is something that should unify the entire world. All of us should be unified in the idea that we should all have the right to express ourselves. Please, I know this gentleman, Alex Jones, is probably not your favorite person, or maybe you love the guy. But if they could do it to Alex Jones, they could do it to anyone else. And to the large part, some people would consider this show to be conspiracy. They call it conspiracy theory. They're like, Alex Jones, he's a conspiracy theorist. Well, out of limits of the truth might be considered conspiracy theory because conspiracy theory is challenging or questioning what is considered the social norm. If you think differently from other people, if you have a different belief pattern than other people, the most common people, you probably should be labeled a conspiracy theorist. And I think it's a terrible label. I think that all people should embrace whatever belief pattern works for them, whatever makes them the most happy. The idea of a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist label is a way of kind of corralling people into shaming them and to get them to conform. And if you listen to the show for a long period of time, you know, one thing we don't preach or promote I would say preach is promoting is nonconformity, finding the truth within. So we're going to talk about this issue going forward on future shows, but I don't know. Maybe one day they'll say, "I don't live to the truth." You know, you're promoting a certain type of speech, or you're bad, or something. I don't know what's going to happen. But for as long as we have our time together, I encourage you to please stand up for free speech. Stand up for people who are promoting speech that you find revulsive, not because you embrace who they are or embrace their perspectives, but because you believe that the right of freedom of speech supersedes anything, any perspective that anyone could say. And let us start tonight's show. Welcome to the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. 
OutOfLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. So, am I getting an Oscar for that speech before the show or what? I, my wife's like, you're doing Oscar speech? I'm like, yes, I'm doing an Oscar speech, honey. Please. I'll be down soon. How's your Mercury in retrograde going? I don't know about you, but I'm sick of it! I mean, how many times does this have to happen during the year? I mean, they always say like, oh, Mercury in retrograde. It's it's a period of introspection. It's when you have to look within yourself. My inner child is so sick of me. It's like, hey, excuse me, adult Ryan, can you please stop bringing me ice cream? I'm getting fat. You're making me too many video games, too much love. My inner child wants me to go away and leave it the hell alone because I'm spending too much time doing introspective stuff because Mercury retrograde is like 50% of the year. I wish we could just get rid of that retrograde thing. We should just blow up Mercury. It's just making me sick. And you know what happens too? On Mercury retrograde, you got all these things happening. Computers don't work. I just found out that it's wise not to have any type of surgery on Mercury retrograde. Well, geez, that's going to make me freak out because I have to get a root canal next week. So I'm sure that the dentist is going to, I don't know, pull my intestines out. (sighs) Root canal, not intestines removal. I definitely need to see a good psychologist. If you're out there, please give me a call. (laughs) I think we have a fantastic guest this evening. It's not on a regular basis that we have somebody call us up and say, hey, I happen to be a moon goddess. A moon goddess? Well, sign me up. Let's get going. Our featured guest has a lot of wonderful perspectives. Teach you how to grow as a person, form a strong bond within, put us on a path of positivity. Keep on searching. Keep on going within. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Tanishka, the moon woman. She's an incredible psychic medium. She's on, ready to launch her fifth book called Goddess Wisdom, which is published by Hay House. And we can learn more about her by going to her website at themoonwoman.com. Tanishka, welcome to the program. It's a great honor to have you with us today. Oh, bless you, Ryan. It's so lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, I have to find out and bring it to your attention. We're both former stand-up comedians. So <laughs> yes. I've had traumatic childhoods, clearly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, most people don't know this, but I was a terrible comedian. It was awful. I used to go up on there and just get a terrible reaction. But I mean, you have the advantage. I mean, you're, you, you have the gift. So... Did you know in advance what jokes would work, what ones wouldn't, based on your ability to reach people, read people's energy a little bit better? Well, let's just say when I trotted out material about being a modern-day goddess, I'd look out on a sea of 20-something men <laughs> with their beers suspended in the air trying to make out who this alien form was in front of them. So I knew I had to find a new platform. <laughs> so what are the... Um requirements of being a modern-day goddess? (laughs) Well, you know, we've kind of hijacked the notion of goddess to think that it's the perfect woman, you know, someone with like an E-cup and a a microscopic waist who, you know, um, is the, the Amazon of all earthly women. But that actually is, you know, sort of a, a patriarchal projection. It's man's fantasy of the perfect woman. A goddess is any woman who acknowledges that she is divine by design. So in knowing that all of nature is divine, from our farts and our yawns right through to, you know, the Fibonacci sequence in, in our cells, um, 
you know, we then live in alignment with nature, with the natural cycles, and that's what goddess wisdom is. It's teaching people how to create socially sustainable lives so that we create healthier relationships with ourselves and each other by living in alignment primarily with the lunar cycle but also with the solar cycle and the seasonal cycle. All right, so when it comes to the lunar cycle, do is it just women or do men do men and women are both are they both equally affected during certain yeah. phases of the well, moon? How do women and men differ as far as the phases of the moon how they're affected? And okay. why are they affected so, by the way too? Yeah, good question. Well, you know, the moon has an effect, as we know, on the gravitational pull with the tidal oceans of the world, and we're comprised of 65% water. So it has a huge effect on us. And whilst exoteric science still refutes that, uh, 80% of mental health professionals in the States conclude that it does. Um, You know, they've done studies to show that women that simulate light for the three nights of full moon will regulate their periods. And when we look at the sort of global infertility rates, that's pretty significant. But it affects all of us because we've all got a masculine and feminine side. We're all comprised of, you know, those polarities energetically, masculine, feminine. And so, yes, it does have more of an effect on women. But ever since 1977, when Chiron, the planetoid, was discovered, men have been dropped in their vulnerability. So aligning with the lunar cycle really helps the guys Uh, especially now that we're emerging from 5,000 years of patriarchy where men were vilified. It wasn't safe for men to express their feminine side, you know, and that's what really is at the heart of patriarchy. It's about the oppression of our feminine qualities, our feminine traits, and devaluing those traits, mocking them, um, you know, living in a culture where it's actually unsafe to express them. So um, for guys to connect with the lunar cycle you know there's immediately a a sort of a map a template a reason it's like okay we just had full moon you know 24 hours ago in Aquarius so that's the sign of you know Shazam insights you know so and and Kundalini and and electricity so things can go wrong with our Wi-Fi connection but it's also an amazing time to download uh, intuitive information and to get flashes of our future and, and to align with that and also opportunities for the harnessing the power of the people. So once we understand the lunar phase and the lunar sign every day, life gets easy because we've identified, oh, that's the lesson of today. So unlike a salmon swimming upstream and pushing against the, the natural flow of the universe, you know, the force, um, we are living with the flow. So we create far less stress and struggle, regardless of our dangly bit. Hey, Tanishka, I'm glad you pointed this out. I've often thought <laughs> at times that certain periods of the month, I try to look at the moon like a surfer surfing the wave, trying to always be at the cutting edge of it, you know, just being at the tip of it. When you think about a full moon and a new moon, what is the comparable differences between the two? And where are you able to tap into the momentum? Like, what activity should you be doing in order to have the 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 wind of momentum, utilizing the power of the moon at your back for each of those? Great question. Yes, and that is it. Is it's like surfing, you know? So, um, 
full moon is party time. That's when you're most likely um, Love it. to uh, get a receptive audience if you offer someone sexual favors. <laughs> and the reason well, I have to find some takers is, for me. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Um, the reason for that, if, if there's nobody in the offing, then community dinner is plan B. The reason is the uh, full moon reflects the most amount of sunlight out of the whole lunar month. So it creates this magnetism between opposite polarities. So it's a, a coming together when we're, you know, um, you know, if we live alone, I'm a bit of a recluse <laughs> like I do, then we want to make sure around full moon we're going out to, you know, do... I love to do devotional chanting or dance meditation around full moon, but something celebratory or break bread with friends and neighbours. Um, full moon is, however, a time when police stations and ERs show there's a spike in admissions, so it's important to stay grounded because if we're not eating you know, protein regularly if we're not getting enough sleep. And it can be a challenge for the three days over the full moon to get enough sleep. Um, so it's good to try and get to bed before 10 at night. Otherwise, that second wind will keep you up from 10 till 2 a.m. Okay, see, but, I'm so um, glad you said that because that's when I get the second wind. Wow, you just identified something. Yeah, right. And and we can get off on that, you know. It's like, woohoo, I'm getting all these amazing downloads. But if we keep that up as a chronic um, sort of way of being, it really throws out our hormonal health, um, which resets at midnight every night, which is, you know, I don't fully understand the science behind that, to be perfectly frank. But um, so full moon is... You know, when our energy is at its absolute peak and we're like, I could leap buildings in a single bound. <laughs> but two weeks after that is when we fall into a huge, you know, sort of vortex and we're like, I can't leave the house. So you don't want to be scheduling um, any sort of opening, exhibition, project, launch, party, wedding around New Moon because everyone will just say, sorry, mate, couldn't come. <laughs> you know, New Moon is, it's actually, there's a phase called Dark Moon that goes for the three days before, during and after the exact New Moon and that's the time when you're most likely to have an argument with uh, work colleagues or partners or um, if you live with nuclear family members, you may have a nuclear explosion. Because oh, it's the geez. time when we're most sensitive. <laughs> hey. So, yeah, go on. Oh, no, it's just horrible. Because you, you mentioned nuclear right now. Like, at this point in time, at this point in time we're talking, there's, like, talk of a nuclear war. Are, are we, in, are we, are we, are we oh, have a nuclear uh, something going on right now from your perspective in the world? Look, you know, my knowing, which is all I ever can refer to as the highest authority for me, is no. But it's all... Um, big, big wake-up calls for all of us um, to galvanise, to go, this is not what we choose to create as a, as a species. We're better than that. So I don't feel that we're, you know, we've, we're coming out of the dark times. You know, now that we're in the energy of the photons bathing our planet in light, yes, it's bringing all the shadow crap up to the surface to be dealt with, but we're not spiralling back down the toilet. You know, so, um, you know, this is a time to celebrate, you know, and to focus on what we're creating rather than be 
in fear um, and reactivity. But so getting back to new moon, that's when people are most likely to make fear-based decisions, to go into contraction, to retract and feel irritable, cranky, tired. It's when most women on the planet menstruate. So if you think about the few days leading up to that, that's a global pandemic of PMT. Wow. Good to know. You just gave, you know? Every, you just gave every man in the world a three-day window of opportunity to spend time <laughs> with the guys, to man hunt you down. Man, man cave time. That's right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely welcome. But the good thing to know, too, is that when women are premenstrual, that's when they actually most need a damn fine shag because it's when everything (laughs) goes into a state of hypertension, emotionally, psychically, mentally, and physically. And if a man can't, um, or a woman if you're in a, a lesbian relationship, but if your partner can't claim you and take you, you know, and it's very primal way because it's when the wild woman archetype is up when we're premenstrual, then you're likely to have somebody just nitpicking the crap out of you, focusing on your shadow like, you know, those hens that pick their babies to death, <laughs> you know. So there's the dynamic just to know, yeah. Now, what about the new moon? How does that, How do the energies kind of influence that? Well, you know, new moon is when we have the lowest tides. So you think about that. It's when we're at our lowest ebb, when our horns and our tail is out, because we all go equally in both directions. So knowing that, that's a time to go to ground. It's when traditionally women would go to the moon lodge, to the red tent, because it's when we're at our most psychically expanded. And, of course, that's also compounded if you're menstruating. And those that are no longer menstruating continue to cycle energetically. So they're just, you know, in a, um expanded psychic state all the time, post-moon pause, as it was traditionally known. So um, this was a time when the women would gather and, you know, like I think Yeshua said, when three or more are gathered in my name, then again we expand our consciousness. And so they would channel, they would bring through insights for the collective. Um, they would do healing on each other and on, you know, the, the Earth Mother. This was a time when everyone would sort of down tools, not because it was shameful for a bleeding woman to touch anything, but because this was a time to honor our most inward self when we were said to be closest to the divine because you know, uh, it's when the inner realms really open up for us. So it's a time for meditation, a time for journal writing, a time for deep introspection so that we're processing all of our emotional experiences so we're not taking anything unresolved to start the new lunar month. And if, if we're not doing that on a cyclic basis, we end up with, you know, extreme emotional mood swings. And that's when women comfort eat around new moon. Women that don't have a moon lodge practice in their life, you know, they'll be chowing down a cheesecake around new moon. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And um, that's also why we have such a high percentage of teenage girls with eating disorders because they feel so out of control emotionally that uh, because girls aren't taught um, anything beyond their physical needs for menstruation. They're not taught how to cycle emotionally, psychically and energetically and mentally because once you start that cycle with the moon, 
you have huge highs and huge lows. So without this mystic wisdom, like a handbook for womanhood, they're just, you know, all out at sea and, and using food as a mood-altering substance to self-medicate. And, um, you know, when you consider that the culture is saying, yeah, but honey, you still need to look prepubescent in order to be acceptable, <laughs> you know, um, then this mixed message creates a sort of, you know, yo-yo diet mentality. What it- you mentioned before at the very beginning of the show that I think what most human beings are 65, 72% water. We're, we're most yeah, water. the average so, adult body is 65, they say. Yeah. Okay. If a person is dehydrated, or mm-hmm. let's say, for example, if they are overhydrated, what impact will that likely have during the cycles of the moon? Will the, will the gravitational pull affect the person differently, especially if they are dehydrated? you lose some of the... Wow, you blow me. I've never, ever considered that before. That's an awesome question. And all that comes to mind is my daughter's guinea pigs that I accidentally killed in the heat wave. They ended up looking like Mama Cass sort of furry bean bags because I gave them too much watermelon. So I certainly (laughs) (laughs) hope... Um, sorry to the animal um, liberationists out there. Please don't hunt me down. But um, I think you did so, intentionally. You were actually saying you were protecting us. I it... Yeah, I was trying to. But yeah, anyway. Um, so I have no idea. I, I would put that out there to one of your audience. Uh, you know, um, to do an experiment. I mean, not that I'd want to, anyone to intentionally dehydrate themselves. But you know, for instance, say if you did a sweat lodge over full moon um, and you know you're not drinking water same with you know vision quest that sort of thing I think it's an awesome question but I have no idea yeah I was just kind of curious wondering if it would have an enhancing effect on it also there are other factors that I'd like to say that might influence a person maybe in a similar way to the moon and that could be other things that are happening in space I mean looking at how big the universe is and knowing that there are black holes that have an incredible amount of gravitational pull, knowing that there are gravitational fields that are abundantly, maybe a hundred trillion times more powerful than our own, I would imagine that these forces that are happening, though outside of our universe, are somehow affecting us here. And what I'm asking is, if a supernova happens, or a planetary event happens several light years away, can we be affected by it here? Can we be affected yes. by other X factors? And how so? What are some of these things? How can some of these events likely affect us? Well, I, look, I can only speak from my personal experience. I know whenever we have solar flares, uh, it takes a few days to the effect of that sort of, you know, uh, solar light, high-frequency energy to reach our planet, but it wipes me energetically. And, you know, intuitively my sense is, well, that's because, when I'm sleeping, it's easiest to integrate that influx of high-frequency energy. It's it's like giving my light body a reboot, you know. But, you know, even quantum science is now quantifying the fact that everything is interconnected. So as tiny little fractals of oscillating energy, of course, in the, the greater concert of um, you know, celestial spheres, as they move, as they form um, angles 
um, you know, in the great dance with each other, of course it has an effect on us. And, um, you know, it's it's arrogant to think that they don't because we don't believe in them. It would be like saying, well, my breasts aren't going to sag because I don't believe in gravity, you know. <laughs> it's like we don't actually get to pick and choose, you know, universal law is what it is. Now, what about your background? I mean, some people, uh, I guess they've grown and developed their capabilities of psychic, intuitive, psychic abilities. How did you develop your abilities? What is your background? What are some of the reasons why you felt that you had these gifts? Um, well, I grew up, my mum was very psychic. She was a Piscean. And um, she'd do stuff like, you know, when she'd pick us up for school, she'd say, congratulations on getting an A on your Waldorf salad. And we're like, haven't told you yet, Mum, you know. Oh, that's your idea. But, uh, so, and, but I, I didn't even know that what I'm doing for a living even existed. It's not something my school guidance counsellor, you know, had on his list of to-dos. So I, I started out, you know, doing performing arts, which really helped with then later on creating ritual, creating sacred ceremony. But um, it all changed for me 21 years ago. Oh, even, oh gosh, earlier than that, five years before that, I started, you know, on my 21st birthday, I was given two copies of Kehilga Brown's book, The Prophet. And um, one of the women, I had a job, my only normal job actually I've ever had was proofreading police interviews. So I'm listening to murderers and, and rapists and, oh you know, as a, as a 19-year-old girl. Yeah. And one of the women in the office, uh, you know, had been... Uh, you know, drinking cleaning fluids as an alcoholic and, and, you know, transformed herself. She was a fellow Scorpio and she handed me a copy of Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life, one day in the lunchroom and said, I think you could use this. So God knows what I was saying about my upbringing. But um, so that started me on my sort of quest at 21. Then at 26, I... I was doing stand-up comedy, but I was also working as a stripper. So nice combo there for your self-esteem as a woman, you know, putting yourself down for laughs and then taking your clothes off on the other night. And I got down on my knees and I said to the universe, if you want me to be a woman, send me some fucking role models. (laughs) And within two weeks, my life fell apart. And um, I ended up uh, living in the forest um, I met a circle of women and they initiated me into ancient women's uh, wisdom traditions. And so I lived off the grid for a year and this house, it was on an underground lake, which was ideal for channeling. And I read a room full of, you know, books on women's mysteries and was mentored by a beautiful woman called Jennifer Powell. Um, and yeah, that just, I, got down on, you know, I stood actually out under the stars one night and just said, okay, that's it, I'm, um, use me, use me as an instrument, you know, and I dedicate myself to serve. So then I started running goddess archetype workshops for women and it, and wrote my first book and it just grew from there. So it's been 21 years and I, in that time, I did 12 years of readings for people so that really you know it's like any muscle the more you use it the more the stronger it gets so um and then in 2011 a student of mine said hey do you want my facebook page and um 
Yeah, so I, I got very clearly October 2012, I needed to stop all local, you know, one-on-one -on -one sessions, couple sessions, and I was doing mixed circles for men and women at full moon and red tent moon lodges for women at new moon to focus on the global, uh, you know, being a midwife in, in that way for the Aquarian age. And so this page, it just grew uh, to over half a million people within two years. So um, a lot of it, that's why I changed the name <laughs> to the Moon Woman because most people knew me as the Moon Woman, but all women are Moon Women. I don't certainly claim to have the only, you know, badge on that. Do you find that the because of the pain that you went through and the mm -hmm. self-doubt that you went through, that that allows you to have a greater resonance with women because maybe they can see part of their pain associated with you and because you've taken it to a kind of an extreme place that they, find, <laughs> yes. they kind of find solace in you knowing that yeah. you were able to come back and overcome a, a very uh, you know early life that was seemed to be very challenging. Yeah, look, I think the greatest thing that we can do is to come together in circle to heal because you, it, you know, the first stage of healing is one-on-one -on -one with healers, counsellors, because when we're dealing with uh, what is deeply shameful for us, it's too overwhelming to share that in front of a lot of other people. We can only deal with a one-on-one -on -one sort of situation. But when we've done that for a while, we're ready for the next level, which is circle work. And um, this is why all the ancient civilizations had circle as a practice and one of the, the greatest powers of that is sharing your vulnerability so it's not about you know putting yourself on a pedestal as the one who's got it all figured out it's about teaching through your own experiences sharing and making a safe space where there is no judgment so Anything that people are sitting on that's, that is holding shame, which is toxic emotionally and mentally, just naturally comes up and everyone uh, heals together, you know, and that's profound. So, um, you know, I, I feel that that's something we really need on the planet again because it's like, you know, in Lord of the Rings, our world has been eclipsed by the shadow because we haven't consciously had practices to embrace those darker aspects, those unconscious thoughts and behaviors and feelings. And just by having that as a practice, we bring it to light, we embrace it, we say, yes, I'm that, I'm all of it. Um, and the more we do that, the less self-criticism and self-judgment we have of ourselves and, and of others. So, yeah, look, I bless all of, of you know, I could tell you some stories to curl your hair in terms of... Let's do it. You know, the life... Ex okay. <laughs> All right. I was homeless with my daughter when she was five. I've been raped twice. Um, my daughter recently, only this year, she um, cut all contact at 14 to go and live two states away. So, you know, I've been put in a crucible of... Um, you know, transmutation, it's like, okay, can you deal with this? Can you deal with this? Can you find God in this? Can you find God? Can you be grateful for this experience? And I have five planets in Scorpio, so I think that's part of the journey, you know, that we keep going into the shadow and going, yes, I can 
I can fully um, see the divine, the blessing in this, you know. So, yeah, it's just been my personal journey. But it's, you know, I also look forward to the second half of my life. I'm 46 going on 47. Maybe suffering doesn't have to be the only trajectory to <laughs> you know, wisdom, you know. I'm like, yeah. Do you think that, um, I mean, obviously you've done a lot of work on yourself and you've really sought out and I guess tried to evolve a lot of different ways. Do you find that because you have a heightened sensitivity and because you have made shadow processing a part of your life, that some of the pain and suffering that you were going through could actually be other people's pain and suffering that you've actually taken on or have offered to take on knowing that you are strong, knowing that you are sensitive, knowing that you have an insight that other people don't have? Do you find that you have taken on more pain and suffering than maybe your life was originally intended to do? Well, you know, that moves me when you speak, so thank you. Um, I, I do feel that as souls we choose a lineage that we feel, yep, yeah, I can I can take that on, you know. And I grew up with a mum who has undiagnosed mental illness and a dad with Asperger's. So, you know, from the very beginning, I connected more with the universe than I did my family, <laughs> you know. So, um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will probably relate to that. I remember reading a book on star seeds and it spoke about, you know, if you've incarnated into some boondock out of the way place and you think, what am I doing here? <laughs> And I was just like, yes, yes. So, um, you know, and I grew up in, in North Queensland, which, you know, racist, sexist, homophobic. It's like the deep south in America, or at least it was in the <laughs> 70s. You know, so I was a white kid with an afro and a thick New Zealand accent cause I moved over there. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was you know, um, develop a sense of humor. And, um, you know, I'd actually talk to the moon every night is what I did as a kid and sing to the moon. It was a way that I'd self-soothe. But um, I'm touched. I'm really touched that you would suggest that. I do think that I I bit off what I thought I could handle. Although sometimes I've kind of gone, what was I thinking? I was showing off, you know. (laughs) I want to bring to your attention that there's something that I've observed. I don't know. I have this theory, and I don't know if it's true or not, but sometimes I feel that when I am in a negative place or I'm not feeling good, sometimes I'll meet a person who happens to be a, a jerk. They'll happen to show up in my life, and that negative feeling that I have will go away. It's almost as if they came to pick up the negative feeling, like the energy kind of left me to go to them. And I'm asking, I'm bringing this to your attention because I'm wondering if there are, or there are points that were earlier where you were picking up energies from people, frequencies from other people, taking it away from them, processing it because maybe they couldn't handle it. And yeah. I'm wondering in the same light if, you know, when people are a little bit down, you, they come to see you, you kind of pick, uh, pick them up a little bit. So I, I, think, I guess, you know, like, I know I just kind of threw out something like, well, where am I going with this? And where I'm going with this is, do you find that people are an energy means, that they're constantly exchanging certain energies and some of the energies that they're picking up may not necessarily be their own, that they are just, the energies kind of jump onto the person based on their frequency at the time? 
Absolutely. Transparent. And yes, I mean, we've got more entities here now than ever before because of the amount of shadow on the planet. So it attracts, you know, lower astral beings. And so much of people's mental illness, you know, is attributed to that. You know, in the indigenous world, if you were ill, it was one of two things. You'd lost connection with the totem animals in each of your chakras or it was entity. So um, absolutely. Um, However, I, I would always, before seeing a client or before holding circle, I would always set up very strong, clear, energetic boundaries so that, um, you know, it's not my place and being very empathic, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners are, uh, and we're all becoming more and more so. It's the way that we are communicating more and more through our subtle senses with each other. But, you know, part of what we're needing to learn as we evolve is how to be energetically responsible beings. So, you know, teaching our kids to put their roots down so that they're grounded. In Australia with the Aboriginals, they'd come up behind a kid and push them from behind. And if they fell over, they'd say, right, go do your grounding. (laughs) You know, it's just part of loss. You know, put your roots down to big mama every day, you know. So, um, and I think, you know, with the number of people experiencing anxiety, it's because that energy, that bioelectric kundalini energy is not sufficiently grounded. So, um, yeah, we all need to um, make that part of our, um, you know, personal self-care practice every day that we, you know, every day I'll, I'll... spiral the violet flame up through my energy field to just clear any dross and I'll put my roots down from the base of my spine into the Can you please explain to our audience how to do that? Because I think that that's a very crucial thing. All right, everyone listening, we got to pay close attention because that that sounds awesome and powerful. All right, cool. Um, uh, The other thing I can do is I can make available, I've created an MP3. I can gift that to your audience. We can tee that up. But I'll explain the process. You just, um, it's great if you can do it with your back against a tree, but you can do it sitting in your lounge room. But you just sit um, and take your awareness down to the base of your spine, down to the coccyx, and then visualize or sense sending energetic roots down from the base of your spine all the way down to the center of the earth. Um, And for me, I, I sense you know, Shambhala, this beautiful um, crystalline matrix, a sort of star of light that is the heart of Gaia consciousness. And then breathe that up and, um, you know, breathe with the mother, attuning your heartbeat to her, creating that sense of oneness. Um, And that's something that we've lost on the planet primarily because of the culling of whales. Whales sound... Uh, through their sonar, um, the consciousness of oneness uh, with the mother. And so it's said that elephants do it on the land and and, um, uh, whales in the sea. But we can start doing that just by connecting with the mother in that way, putting our roots down and breathing her energy up. And then what I do is I um, bring that energy up spiraling the dross of each of my seven chakras, I actually 
breathe up and visualize the twin serpents, so the meridians of sacred feminine, sacred masculine energy, um, which are known in the yogic tradition as Ida and Pingala, one's red and one's white, and they loop around the chakras. So what this does is it creates, you know, the healing symbol, the caduceus within our energy field to create wholeness and balance between left brain, right brain, masculine, feminine um, qualities of our being. And then when I get to the crown, I visualize energetic branches emerging from the top of my head and going all the way up to the brightest star in the Pleiades known as Alcyon. And for me, uh, going into the center of that, I connect with the heart of the Divine Father. And then I breathe his essence down into my heart and feel that merging with the heart of the mother. So I'm, um, again, just creating that balance. And then I finish off by visualizing the Sri Yantra, which is the sacred geometric pattern for divine union, um, which, you know, if you chant Om, divine uh, iron filings will arrange themselves into the Sri Yantra. So it's um, the symbol of the divine uh, unmanifest as pure potential within us. So I just see that as a fractal within every cell and um, visualize a spiral of violet flame starting a foot beneath me in my earth star chakra and then spiraling all the way up through my body and transmuting any energy into holographic particles of light which then shower back down through me. So that's part of what I do in my morning. Wow. What you do in your morning is yeah. probably what most people don't do in a week in the U.S. No. So that's a lot. That's it only a lot to takes do in the morning. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Wow. You know, yeah. I mean, to explain it takes longer than to do it. Oh, that's pretty good. So that's awesome. So, you start the day off, you, you, you have this connection, and it seems that uh, it's kind of like gives you a nice little boost. It's like, it's like metaphysical yeah. coffee. Metaphysical espresso there. You've got it. Because what happens is if we're not plugging in and we're not filling up our petrol tank with energy from above and below, we're unconsciously going out as a vampire and stealing energy by being a victim and getting people to listen to our stories, our sob stories, or by packaging up what we think are our best assets and trying to steal looks from people, like all the ways that the ego tries to get attention, <laughs> get energy from each other. And this creates a sort of sullied energetic transaction. So if we're walking around and, and we're full, you know, then we're not needy. So we're sacred, we're sovereign energetically, and we are bringing um that balance to whatever situation or interaction we're entering into. You mentioned a little earlier about these etheric critters that are kind of running around because there's so much darkness. Yeah. Are these etheric critters, are they, are they, is the darkness the origin of it based out of the human psyche, based out of the human-based fear, or are they coming from either another place within the universe or another astral plane of evil? What I'm asking this is because I'm really trying to find where the origin of evil is because we had somebody who had a near-death experience or a death experience said that all evil or perceived evil is all coming from humans it's all human um, related and i want to know what your thoughts are about that if you agree or disagree hmm. well i think you know everything you know microcosm macrocosm everything is a reflection and i i think um that 
first and foremost, we need to look at what is within us, knowing that we will attract like a magnet, a similar frequency. So rather than being, you know, focused on, oh, you know, the boogeyman going to come get me sort of thing from anywhere and everywhere, you know, what is it that's holding darkness within me? Is there a situation from my past that's holding shame, you know, or a deep secret or something? And what can, what needs to be healed? Um, I do believe that there are um, darker frequency entities that are not of human origin that are then often attracted to, um, you know, us when we're in trauma states. So, for instance, when women birth, you know, we spiral, our consciousness spirals deep down into the underworld, into, you know, that the deepest, darkest uh, place that is the void in order to retrieve the incoming soul. You know, that, that crossroads for birth and death, it's one and the same. And, you know, women aren't given the shamanic preparation for birth that they need. And so a lot of postpartum depression is, you know, women that have been so open and expanded psychically, but in in the birthing, which is often traumatic in, you know, hospital birth scenarios, they come back with entities attached. So, um, you know, I'd recommend any woman that's recently, um, you know, had a baby or, um, you know, just it, it, you can feel yourself if, if there's a room in your house that you go, mm, I don't want to go in there at night. You know, or the kids don't want to go in there at night. You know, it might be... Uh, an emotional miasma I know when my poor mother came to stay she left this sludge in the room and it wasn't an entity as such it was like deep deep sadness you know um, and similarly there can be like a mental miasma left an imprint so if you're on public transport it's good just to visualize a violet flame spiraling up before you take a seat so that you're not sitting in the imprint of the previous energy that was sitting in that seat, you know. Just getting more or fay with psychic housework, you know, and, and acknowledging that we are primarily energetic beings having a human experience and that the energetic realm exists, that just because exoteric science can't perceive it through the five earthly senses doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, you know. Unfortunately, esoteric science is now being quantified by, you know, more by uh, quantum physics. I think it's coming. I think it's already actually here. We've done a couple of shows about brainwave frequencies and featured Dr. Jill Amon Wexer, featured Dr. James Hart, and both have discussed saying that if your brain is oscillating at a certain frequency, you can't perceive different things. You can perceive other things that we're, we're not accustomed to seeing to the human observer, the human eye. I think part of it, Tanishka, may, may have to do with cognitive dissonance. What are you willing to see? What are you allowing yourself to see? Yes. And right now, we had just had a, a really incredible gentleman on our program, Daryl Schoen, and he talks about the fear, the atmosphere of fear. Right. Maybe a lot in the U.S., but in the world. And discussing that fear, talks about how when people are in a fear-based mentality, they kind of go back into their, I guess, I don't know, survival ego mentality. 
and yeah. be a very very primitive. And because of that, they kind of they kind of cut themselves off from the spirit. And the question I have for you is: Do you think that the world is in a great state of darkness because they have so much shadow to process? Or do you think the world is in its perceived darkness because people just happen to be in a state of fear and they're thinking survival mode? Whereas if they were not in that state of chronic fear, the perceived essence of the shadow that's here would not be as daunting as it appears to be. Totally agree with the latter. Um, I would like to add that I feel America's greatest challenge right now is to embody symbolically the United States within themselves. In other words, by embodying all the different facets that make them up and become more integrated and then that will be reflected in the macrocosm you know because um you know what what trump has done is like lifting the scab on a festering sore and showing how you know just um fragmented like a shattered mirror um america is and you know the fact that you have um, the Statue of Liberty, it's, it's Ishtar. She is the ancient, well, she was known in the Bible as the Great Whore of Babylon, but Ishtar, so the, the Babylonian name for the goddess of love. So she's the one holding a beacon saying love is the way. Um, and in her myth, she descended down through the seven chakras to meet her, her worst self. Um, and then to own her shadow at the seven gates and so that then she could see her her light at the seven gates and in doing that she comes back resurrected and whole and she's ready for divine union so I think that symbolically that is the esoteric challenge for for those that have chosen to incarnate or live in America Um, I do feel that you know in terms of the great rebirth uh, we have just entered the transition phase. And the transition phase is the pointy end of the stick. That's when, you know, there's a lot of people leaving the planet right now because it's either have an ego death or, um, or you'll have a physical death. You know, you can't stay in this intensity being in the present tense, which is what we're being pushed to do now that, you know, Gaia has already moved into fourth dimension so when people are operating out of fear they're operating out of their lower three chakras so that's zero to seven in the base seven to 14 years in the sacral the emotional center and 14 to 21 which is the solar plexus so because we haven't had rites of passage on our planet for 5,000 years in the anglo-european cultures um, people are operating like teenagers. Um, like, um, I know teenagers. Is, I would say teenagers is, is too far advanced. I would say <laughs> children younger that need to be spanked. Good spanking. Well, well, I don't know about the spanking, but you know, there's a sense of I want, I get, and needing attention and and being focused purely on quick gratification. What looks good is good. And so um, in order to um, do the 180 trajectory that's needed, we just need to move the energy up into the heart. And the way we do that 
is we reconnect with the inner mother and the inner father. They are the archetypes that sit in the heart center. So that means looking at our self-care, going, all right, how's my nutrition? Am I getting enough sleep? Um, have I got, you know, a, a support practice for myself emotionally each month during the darkest phase of the moon? Looking at your needs on all levels, mental, emotional, energetic and physical, and saying, right, on a cyclic basis, how can I meet those needs? And then the inner father who says, right, let's look at the structures in our life. Are they supporting me? Or are they hindering me? Are they restricting me? You know, where am I perhaps pursuing status, money and power instead of following my heart, which is what the hero within does? You know, his, um, his inner authority is his heart, not, you know, like Darth Vader, the dark father who's seeking external power. He knows his power is within. So if we can activate those inner parents, we will fulfill the whirling rainbow prophecy and turn the world back to green because we are operating out of that green ray, the, the heart center. I love the fact that you know, you're encouraging people to empower themselves, that you're encouraging people to, I guess, to step into the light, to challenge themselves, to evolve and grow. A lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people don't even think they have a problem. A lot of people don't even see the fact that they may be walking around being completely evil if we people that are, are seeking out the light if you become very strong and you really really just devote yourself to it can you overpower the people that are walking around you know the darkness and overpower them I'm not saying that you know as a control trip but just by basically saying will your will be more likely to be done will more light in, in the world come if a smaller number of people commit themselves with greater intensity than if a majority of people walk around aimlessly in their darkness and do nothing? Yeah, look, I definitely believe in critical mass um, and it's happening. You know, I mean, in my lifetime, I never thought I'd see uh, grown Australian men wearing spandex in public as a kid in the 70s. And, <laughs> you know... <laughs> That, that's a pretty good sign that, you know, if, if that's happened, uh, then anything is possible. I also went to my 30th high school reunion on the weekend. And whilst I thought, what am I doing? You know, these people didn't get me 30 years ago. Now that I'm really out there, you know, I'm going to be standing on the dance floor alone for most of the evening. And I was so surprised everybody there was in their heart. You know, 30 years on, midlife, everyone's ego's been pummeled. And what's happening is life, the intensity, is bringing up all of our greatest challenges right now. So we're having to get in our heart. It's humbling us. It's putting us in our vulnerability. And that's creating the acknowledgement that we need each other and that we need to be transparent. We need to ask for help. So if someone is operating out of their shadow self, if we respond to them, not by reacting to the show, to the bear that's like, raw, but going beyond that, looking at that scared deer that is, you know, sort of projecting the angry bear, and we ask that soul, what do you need? You know, we immediately, well, it throws them off guard because <laughs> they're expecting <laughs> you to react to the bear. 
but also it says brother sister it's like you you establish we're connected we're one i'm not going to do separation with you you know and so we change the dance and that's you know really the one of the hugest lessons of the aquarian age it's about bringing the energy not just into the fourth but into the fifth into the throat which is where we have the the transaction of brotherly sisterly love so not seeing um our opposite as potential um you know seduction uh and quickly evaluating them as someone that you either want to shag or you don't have anything to do with them but as somebody who is your brother is your sister uh in the acknowledgement that we're all in this together and we all come from that one woman in Africa and we are family we are the one organism and it's through us working together that we're going to uh transform Gaia back to her garden state. Can you please tell us about your latest book? Tell us a little bit oh, about I'd it. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what, can, what, are people, what can people expect and what are some of the... Cool. Okay. Well, it's called Goddess Wisdom and um, it's a book that Hay House in the UK asked me to write. So it's available globally and there's an online course as well with it. But the book is like uh, a great comprehensive handbook for all the ancient feminine wisdom teachings and practices but it's written in a way that it's accessible there's a lot of you know practical processes that people can apply and do but it's um you know i speak from my experience not just as a woman but also facilitating women's events and downloading channeling them because i think that's really what i'm here to do and how i'm here to serve and that is to um to to remember those sacred practices that we did in Mesopotamia, in Lemuria, in Egypt, in those advanced civilizations where we did get along. <laughs> and it's because we were more balanced, you know. We didn't just acknowledge the masculine attributes, but also the feminine attributes. And that's something I love about your show, that you acknowledge the balance for mysticism and science. And it's when those two intelligences are, are honoured within all of us that we're really going to see a quantum leap in our evolution as a species. So, um, yeah, look, it's been getting, you know, rave reviews. I got listed in the top ten of um, inspirational books for women in Aspire magazine. So I, I think it's one of those books already that women go, oh, you know, I'm going to go buy copies for all my friends because it's oh, just great. It's, it's needed. You know, it's that information that is every woman's birthright that she should get when she starts cycling, when she becomes a woman. So even if we don't know it, once we get hold of it, we're like, oh, my God, this is a drink that I can't put down. Oh, that's great. That is a great way to, to describe your your book. And as far as our show goes, we, we, we see knowledge will come in any form. And I, I think that the second you put, you have an ideology... It, it'll block something. I don't know. I just, we try to be open to as many things as we possibly can. For somebody who is on that path, who really wants to transcend their pain, who really wants to heal themselves, based on your life, based on what you've done, what are three things that you would recommend someone do, first three steps a person do in order to begin their healing process? Okay. 
the first thing I would do is um, start writing a journal because a relationship with yourself is crucial because we're so constantly bombarded by, you know, every, especially if you live in an urban environment, uh, billboards and, you know, just constant messages telling you what to say, think, do, where, buy, travel to, you, you know. And so just to start that dialogue between um, yourself and your inner self. So, um, and then, you know, ask the universe for help because in terms of universal law, we have free will. So we have all these guides and ancestors that want to help us, but unless we ask, they can't intervene. So if we ask, trust it will be given, but also then follow the leads of synchronistic um, signs you know if you um, get a sense to go somewhere go or to ring somebody ring them or if you see the same image three times it's like okay I need to um, ponder that why am I being shown that image so read the signs would be the second um, you know once you've invoked help um, let's see third I would say start a practice it doesn't matter you know there was an old vb beer ad here in in australia that said you can get it running you can get it bushwalking it doesn't matter how you get it but your way of feeling the sense of oneness with existence so for one person it might be walking along a beach for another person it might be doing kundalini yoga uh or chanting just or, or art, you know, art is a language of the soul. It's a great practice for anyone who's experienced trauma that's been so bad they can't even put words to it. But getting it out in images helps the subconscious, which speaks in images, to validate what it's experienced and to consciously acknowledge it. So those would be my top three, I reckon. Tisha. It was a great honor to have you with us on our show today. Tanishka, the Moon Woman, I appreciate you being here. To learn more about her, we can go to our website at themoonwoman.com. Again, the book, Goddess Wisdom. You have to check it out. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was a real pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. And um, I, I have toured the States before and would love to return. So hello to everybody over there and, and thank you so much for having me on. Deeply appreciated. You're welcome. We wish you an abundance of peace. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our wonderful guest, Ms. Tanishka, and special thanks as always to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show Virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Dellas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. And before we sign off, as discussed at the beginning of the show, please stand for freedom of speech. Freedom of speech in all different forms, regardless if you can't stand it, regardless if it's not music to your ears. We are all unified as one human race to stand up for free speech. We should all have the right to express ourselves. And wishing upon you an abundance of love. Peace and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.
Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.